Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Elsa De Jäger, founder of the awesome Hospital Box and all-round beacon of positivity. Coming up on today's show... Elsa sums up the week's big news in one sentence. I think the entire UK is jumping for joy at the thought of having a pint in the sun. Phil compares a real highlight in his life to this. Yeah, it's like watching an episode of EastEnders, I guess. And Elsa describes one of the easier jobs from her career. There is no describing the insanity. It was a complete madhouse. All that and a whole lot more as Elsa talks us through her story and journey to date, along with taking us through the amazing work she's done through lockdown. Don't forget to hit subscribe and give us a like and a share across your networks. It really makes a massive difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today's guest is someone who has, well, I mean, quite frankly, forged one hell of a career so far, working with some very well-known places and brands whilst also founding three businesses. And that's just so far. Uh, the latest of which we'll spend some time chatting about because it's very much a, a story for the now. So welcome to the show, Elsa De Jäger. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm, do- I'm doing great. It's a, it's a very hot day in London, so can't complain. And, and lockdown seems to be lifting. So all, all looking up from here. Yeah, to get context, yesterday was the, uh, the announcement, the 23rd of June, that um, Boris lifted the lockdown for the 4th of July. Uh, I think that I was detecting a little bit of giddiness around the hospitality industry yesterday. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. This is the news we've all been desperately waiting for. And I think the entire UK is jumping for joy at the thought of having a pint in the sun somewhere. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's you rightly said it's a very hot day. My little uh, studio in my house, um, I have to keep all the windows shut while I'm recording this because there's too much noise goes on outside and it's like a little sauna um, <laughs> at the moment. But um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> so uh, one of the reasons that I'd, I wanted to have a chat with you is that you know, up until probably two weeks ago, you and I hadn't spoken to each other. But I, as, I think as luck would have it, just stumbled upon a LinkedIn feed that told me that you had created something during lockdown I thought was just a little bit special I'll, I'll let you do the talking on that actually so what is it that you've you've kind of pivoted into during this time sure well I mean you know you know when when lockdown happened and when the whole COVID situation hit I uh you know obviously my my my, my gut reaction like so many people was just utter fear and you know almost paralysis of trying to figure out what you know what what do we do? You know, I have, I have two young kids and suddenly I was faced with homeschooling and no work. And I actually just, just happened to not be working when, when COVID hit. So I, you know, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? And, you know, hearing all these stories of, you know, people in our industry suddenly, you know, for actually even before the furlough scheme even came in, just hearing people being so terrified of, am I going to lose my income? Am I going to lose my job? Particularly, in the U.S. and I, you know, I, I worked in New York early in my career, and in the U.S., you know, there's not really any social help or care for people in the industry. So, you know, the panic that was happening over there in terms of, you know, just seeing people, you know, freaking out and thinking, what are we going to do? And you know, my LinkedIn feed, probably like yours, is is just hospitality people. So, yeah, um, you know, it was yeah, it was it was a really sort of bad place to be in, and 
you know, what, what I love about the American spirit generally is that they, you know, they're very much a people who just say, there's a crisis, let's just do something about it. They're very quick to react in that way and to help each other out. And I was, I was seeing all these stories on my Instagram and LinkedIn of people that I know in New York, just suddenly turning their kitchen into soup kitchens or doing takeaway food and all these things. And, you know, there's a lot less red tape in the US. So it's, it's quite easy to do something like that. Right. And I thought, you know, I thought I have to do something. I was like, what, you know, what can I do? And obviously the, the you know, the, the difficulty was straight away thinking, you know, what can I do when I'm locked at home and I'm not allowed to really drive anywhere? I'm not allowed to see anybody. I'm not allowed to, you know, it was sort of, you know, what can I do from my kitchen that's going to help others? And so, you know, I had a chat with, with two of my, my favorite people in the industry, um, one guy called Matt Burgess and Josh McIntyre, who are, they both work for Caravan and, you know, we used to work together um, last year. And, you know, I said, you know, come on guys, we let's, you know, let's put our thinking caps on what can we do? And, you know, and, and, and out of this conversation came the idea for Hospobox and Hospobox is basically a recipe slash food box that, that we put together each week and we, we sell some and we give some away and we only give away ideally to people in the restaurant industry because, you know, what I saw during the crisis is that most sort of help and charitable work that was going on was focused on the NHS and, you know, key workers, yep. which as it, as it very rightly should be. But I thought, you know, I want to help my people. I want to help my industry because that's the industry that I know. And I know the struggles of this industry. So I thought, you know, what can we do for our people? And, you know, simultaneously, I could see that people like my neighbors on my street were really missing eating out. Like they were missing, you know, their local restaurants and, you know, I thought, well, I'm sure that there's a sort of business there that we can can start putting boxes together and sell them to people and then give most of them away. So it's not for profit. We don't we don't make money. In fact, we, you know, can safely say we lose money, but <laughs> but that's OK. Yeah. We're you know, we'll get there. And and yeah, we, we we had a few Zoom calls, as people do, and and figured out that if I got the food delivered to my house and I put the boxes together and Matt was putting together the recipes and Josh was making the cocktails at his house and then sending them over to me. And bless him, he lives really, really far from where I live. And he's sort of, he's sort of been walking two and a half hours with the cocktails wow. to my house during lockdown so that he could drop them off safely at a safe distance. And then that's I would commitment. put them Yeah, it is commitment. That's, you know, that's the kind of people they are. And then Viola, who's like another, she's like a general manager of one of the biggest um, caravans. She started helping and doing the social media. And I think, you know, everybody, that's the beauty of this industry. You, you know, you're surrounded with people who hospitality for us, for those who love it is, is second nature. It's, it's what gives us purpose. It's what, you know, it's what gets us out of bed in the morning and, and yeah. they, they're sad without it. So they were sort of desperate to help and, and do something. And, and yeah, and you know, the first week was a bit of a mess. We, we we didn't really know what we were doing. And I had boxes everywhere in my house and just stickers everywhere. And, you know, having two kids, they were helping me put the hospital box stickers on the boxes. And they, they got so excited about doing something. And yeah, uh, and then we found volunteers, you know, who started doing the deliveries for us. So they come once a week and, you know, at a safe distance, I would put the boxes outside, they pick up the boxes and then, and then they would have their list of addresses. And, you know, it's been really... Uh, it's been extraordinary seeing, you know, hearing of people's reactions. I've done a lot of deliveries myself and, you know, people who don't expect the box, you know, you get to their house and at first they're a bit baffled by what, what this is that's being delivered to them. And, 
And then when they understand, they, they get so excited about this box. And it's not a food parcel like, you know, like groceries to, to have in your house. It's really very much a recipe restaurant box. Like we think, you know, what we love in hospitality is bringing joy through a meal. And, and you know, and then suddenly we had this network of chefs and bartenders who wanted to contribute. And, you know, somebody posted about it and we had a bartender in Tel Aviv who saw the post and was like, Hey, I want to, can I do a drink? Can I create a drink for you guys for your box? And he sent us the recipe from Tel Aviv and then, and Josh put it together. And, you know, it's been amazing. It's been all these out of work chefs and bartenders who are like, you know, can we contribute? Can I contribute? And it's been this beautiful community project that, you know, came out of nowhere and it's, and it's lovely. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're not doing hundreds of boxes a week. We, we don't have the capacity to do that yet. It's still a very small operation, yeah. But, you know, we feed, you know, 50, 60 people a week. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been bringing us a lot of joy. It's, there's definitely a lot of work involved more than I, I think probably anticipated. And now that restaurants are reopening, obviously, I'm not sure how that's going to affect us long term. But for the moment, we're still selling out each week. And people who are receiving a box for free, we're asking them to nominate somebody else in their world, you know, hospitality world. And that's kind of how, you know, word of mouth is spreading. And, and yeah, it's, it's been awesome. It's, it's, it's definitely been a lot of fun. Yeah. I was going to ask you, actually, how, how do you find the people who need the box? Not the people who buy the box, but the people yeah. who really kind of need it. Yeah, it's, it's, very much, it's very much word of mouth. When, when somebody receives a box, they get a little menu inside and, you know, explaining what's in the box and saying, like, please go online on our Instagram page and, and nominate somebody else. And not everybody does that. And that's, and that's okay. You know, we don't want to put pressure on anybody, but the more, you know, the restaurant industry people as a whole, were quite a proud bunch, I would say like there's, you know, a yeah. lot of people don't want to ask, A, they don't want to ask for a box for themselves. So, you know, what we found is that people who need it the most are the ones that are least likely to ask for it. So we really, either when somebody's buying it or when somebody's receiving it, we, we do send them like a follow-up message to say, can you nominate somebody? Can you think of anybody in your world? They don't necessarily need to be out of work or in a difficult position. Maybe they just need a smile on their face. Maybe they just need a little pat on the back to say you're doing a good job or it's going to be okay or, you know, just appreciate you. You know, like that's that's what we do in restaurants. We, you know, people come into our home in a way and we and we serve them and we put a smile on their face. And this is what those boxes are meant to be doing. They're meant to yeah, spread a little bit of joy to our to our people during this tough time. Yeah, well, I can uh, immediately vouch for the little moment of joy that you bring because you very kindly sent me a box last week and, and I don't even live in London, so I appreciate you doing that. And the recipe, well, the first thing that struck me was the quantity of food. Like it's not, it's not an insignificant thing. You know, yeah. you, you, the, the quantity of food in there was easily a meal for two. Yeah, uh, I'd say even three if you were you know careful yeah and uh, i haven't yet had the cocktail by the way but it sounds amazing <laughs> and um, everybody needs a tipple yeah and it was just it was just when the, the the guy knocked on my door and i um I, I to be honest i'd forgotten that you were going to be delivering it that day and and i was just like oh wow this is i mean it is it's just a little moment where you go that's really cool and not only that, you you know, I think that the thing for me was is that the recipe itself was something that I wouldn't necessarily have normally cooked at home. You know, the quality of the ingredients were really good. Everything is just, it's just really, really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea. We don't, 
you know, there's there's 101 companies doing this sort of recipe box idea at the moment, um, you know, and they do it very well. And I think, you know, for your uh, for the person who's who orders from them, I think they want perhaps quite safe food and, and food that they can cook on a you know random Tuesday of the week. But with hospital box, the idea was, you know, it's it's really bringing the magic of restaurants home. So, yeah, cooking something that you necessarily you wouldn't necessarily order off a menu. But, you know, we've we've had so many comments from people being like, oh, I never I wouldn't have picked this dish on a menu or I would never attempt to make that recipe myself at home. But when you have all the ingredients pre-prepared and pre-portioned and all you have to do is, is follow the 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 link on our Instagram to, you know, to see the video. And the videos are really fun because it's you get to see all these different chefs cooking them and that's really fun. And um, yeah, people have been really appreciating. People have really been appreciating the the awesome drinks that come with them. That's been a great part of the of the box also because people are like, oh, I would never, or I, I don't drink tequila, but, you know, this cocktail had tequila in it and I really enjoyed it. And um yeah. yeah that's you know that's that's really the the best part of it is just getting people's feedback and you know the difficulty also that comes with that is that obviously we can't cater to dietary requirements so do put it you know a little thing in our menu saying you know may contain does contain this that or the other and may contain other things because you know when you're sending a box to somebody you know who might have an allergy or something and you don't know about it we have to be super careful with that but of course, um, yeah. Um, and we try like every third week to do a vegan box because this, this, uh, you know, increasing amount of people who don't want to eat meat, but we do. Yeah. For the most part, we try to have different, uh, yeah, different offering in each box and a very sort of different culture and chef each week to, you know, to ensure that the boxes are super diverse and super fun. Yeah. Well, no, you're definitely achieving that. No doubt. And the one, uh, one question that came from me on the, the back of that was how do you make vegan meal? How- how do we make a vegan meal? Yeah, uh, mayo, mayonnaise. Oh, oh. Well, actually, this was a, it was a store bought mayonnaise for that one. I'm afraid, but uh, okay. in, if, if you were making it, if you were making it from scratch, so what we try to do is not overwhelm people with the amount of different things that go in a box. Vegan mayo is actually really easy. You replace the egg with aquafaba, which is actually it's chickpea water. So if you ah. ever if you ever buy a tin of chickpeas and you and you empty out the you know, the liquid that's in there and you whisk it, it, it will become like egg whites. Right. It's basically, that, that's how you make a vegan cake and that's how you make vegan mayo. So, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the um, the vegan mayo and then a little spoonful of Korean barbecue sauce this week. I mean, wow, that was <laughs> that was phenomenal. And like such a simple little thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you're teaching people as well as bringing them joy. You certainly taught me. Yeah. Great. I'm so, so happy to hear that. <laughs> so I've kind of done this, I suppose, the, the, the wrong way around. Normally I would talk about story and then we talk about what you're doing, but I, I just wanted to give this really kind of front and center attention because I think you're, uh, what you're doing is, is absolutely wonderful. But let's now talk about your story. I mean, how did, how do all the roads that you've walked lead you to here? Goodness. Um, I mean, my story, I think, Funnily enough, I think my story is a bit crazy, but also very typical of this industry, which is that I, I don't think anybody decides really early on in their life that they're going to go into hospitality unless they come from a hospitality family, tends to be the story. Yeah. Um, I had a you know great childhood. Um, I am originally from France. As, as American as I sound, I am, I am French, uh, completely French. I, I was born in Paris, moved to London at a young age, and 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 did tons of traveling. I uh, my my father 
was born in Egypt to a Greek mother. And, you know, there's lots of cooking that comes with that, you know, these very, you know, big meals. And my mom is very French. And, you know, my, my childhood was uh, filled with big family meals filled with food. And so I, you know, I loved food from a very, very young age, but never even entertain a career in this, um, in this industry. But I, um, you know, I went to university, I went to UCL, I studied, you know, politics and East European studies. I, I thought that I might go into journalism or, or politics more generally. I, you know, I loved writing and reading and speaking and, uh, you know, that's sort of where I thought I was going to go, but I, I started working just to earn some, you know, cash in the pocket when I was 17. It was like my first year of university. And, um, I met this girl, Anna, who was, you know, my best friend. And she, um, she said, well, I work at the steakhouse, you know, Sophie's Steakhouse in Fulham Road. And, and, you know, we need some extra waitresses. Why don't you, you know, come that, come and do that. And I thought, sure. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun enough. And like a lot of people with their first jobs, I completely lied and said that I had worked at a restaurant before, which was <laughs> a, a, a big fabrication, but somehow they gave me a trial shift. And immediately within about six minutes of me starting realized I definitely had not worked in hospitality before but they were like you know what you can talk to people and you've got a smile on your face and that's that's the most important part so you know very excitedly got the job and you know and I really fell in love with it I fell in love completely with the industry I I think I was fascinated with this you know very short interaction that you have with people but you know this this very small window of opportunity to impress people. I just, I loved it. I, I got a kick out of making somebody's day out of, yeah, just being part of birthdays and witnessing family arguments and whatever happened. It was like a constant sitcom. And I, and I yeah, I fell in love <laughs> with it. And, you know, when you're, you know, between 18 and 21, you're, you know, you're going to bed at two o'clock in the morning anyway, but you, you know, this was in the heyday of, you know, sort of, traders having a lot of money and steak was the really big thing you know at the time and yeah. you know people spending a lot of money and leaving big tips so it was it was awesome like i made i probably made more income at 18 that i that i probably ever will for the, for the rest of my life but it was yeah it was awesome i fell in love with it and i you know i still had that affinity towards cooking and so i finished my degree and said to my parents okay i want to well, I, I very briefly entertained a career in hedge funds when i finished university i got a like internship at a hedge fund. And yeah, within about a week, I was like, no, 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 I, I cannot be doing a job where I'm sitting at a desk. It's not my, it's not my thing. And, you know, and I said to my parents, I'm moving to New York and I'm going to go to cooking school. So I, I, you know, moved, moved to New York for the first time and, and went to cooking school. I, I kind of thought I was going to be a chef because I loved, I loved cooking so much and uh, thought, you know, it's probably a better stepping stone to, to, to study cooking. Cause I, I really didn't know what I was doing other than I love to eat and, uh, went to cooking school, which was the French culinary Institute. And whilst I was at cooking school, I also did a restaurant management course, which was also offered by that school. And that is where I met Randy Garuti. So Randy was, he is now the CEO of Shake Shack. Yeah. Uh, but at the time he was, the head of operations for Danny Meyer's um, Union Square Hospitality Group. And, you know, anyone who ever worked in hospitality in the U.S. at the time or even now, you know, Union Square Hospitality Group is the group. It's, you know, Danny Meyer is the, 
you know, he is the almost the founding father of hospitality. He is the rock star that everybody, you know, admires. And and he's honestly the nicest guy in the entire world. (laughs) I don't think there's a person alive who works in hospitality who hasn't heard of Danny Meyer. Yeah. I think that's one of my interview questions. And if anybody just says, I don't know, I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't give you a job. Like, if yeah. you don't know who the person is. Um, but I met Randy and, you know, uh, literally came up to him. He was teaching uh, like a class on, on, on restaurant operations. And I, and I went to see him and I said, I, I have to work for you. Like, I, you have to give me a job and I don't care in what capacity. And at the time I didn't have a visa. I was on a student visa, you know, studying cooking and he said okay well let me see what I can do I'm going to introduce you to Will Gadara who is this awesome up-and-coming rock star GM who has taken over 11 Madison Park with Daniel Hume who's the new chef and so they had just taken over um, one of the restaurants that Danny Meyer owns and he said let me introduce you to Will I know he's looking for people and and I met Will and I think I'll never forget it was kind of my first sort of really important interview and I and I wore a suit because I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about really fine dining restaurants. And I, and I arrived in a suit and I got caught in a monsoon rain. And I think if oh, anybody has bad. ever, is anybody ever seen a New York thunderstorm? It's, it's unlike any other thunderstorm. And I got drenched like to my, to my bones drenched. And I walked in and I was wearing this white shirt, of course, as with a suit. And I didn't realize how completely soaked through and transparent it was. <laughs> And I sat in front of Will and I was like, you know, super enthusiastic. And I was like, hi, you know, I really want a job in your kitchen. I heard about this amazing chef you have. And he was like, Elsa, you know, and Will has this infectious enthusiasm about him. When you meet him, you just, you feel like you're the only person in the room. And he sort of looked at me and he was like, firstly, like, thank you so much for coming in. I have to tell you that your blouse is really see-through. And I was like, oh my God, it's like, it was the most embarrassing moment of my life, probably. But <laughs> And, but he was sort of, he was so sweet. And he said, but you know what? He said, I, um, I would love to, he said, you know what? I would love to give you a job. I think you've, you know, you're, you've got great energy. And, but he said, I, um, I'm not going to give you a job in the kitchen. And I said, why not? Like, I, 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 like, I want to be a chef. And he was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to save you the hassle of working in a kitchen for three years. And I'm going to put you straight away in the front of house because that that's where you need to be. So that energy doesn't belong in the kitchen. I think he just, I think he saw through me very early on and, and, and very rightly so. I mean, I always loved working in the kitchen and later in my career, I've, I've worked in, um, in many kitchens, but I think he saw at this point that, you know, I needed to channel my energy into speaking to people. So he got me a job. He, they jumped through all sorts of hoops to get me a visa. And yeah, that was sort of my very defining years in hospitality. I was, I was taught by the best, by him, by Daniel, by John Reagan, who was, he was the wine director, but was this incredibly charismatic, uh, knowledgeable guy. Like he taught me everything I knew about wine. I took my court of master sommelier, you know, um, uh, sort of degree while I was there. And, and yeah, I, you know, I came in there knowing absolutely nothing about service, about hospitality, about food and came out like, I mean, everybody who came out of that sort of period was an encyclopedia of knowledge. Like it took a lot of studying. It took a lot of work. I think, you know, we worked 15 to 18 hours a day, six days a week at least, but I just was so happy. I was just completely in my element, you know, through and through. And um, yeah, I worked there for, for 18 months. And then unfortunately my visa ran out and renewing it was incredibly complicated. And, you know, I missed, I missed London as much as I love New York. So I moved back to London 
and did my first, got my first management role, which again, I completely lied about and said I had been a manager in New York, which was not true. <laughs> and, just, and, you know, but because I had yeah, worked with yeah, Annie Meyer. Yeah, I know. But it's, I feel like that's the way to get around these days, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I had worked. So I went back to Sophie Steakhouse where I had worked previously and they were opening a big um, their second operation and really big um, site in Covent Garden. And I, you know, having worked for Danny Meyer, suddenly had this very impressive CV for for London and, um, you know, got offered this 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 job of restaurant manager for their new opening. And, you know, for a first management role you know, being a manager of a restaurant the first time is very, is, you know, it's very difficult as it is. But like I went in having come from fine dining into huge volume. I mean, we were doing 1300 covers a day. You know, we had 120 members of staff and I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely none. But, <laughs> you know, I think the beauty of hospitality is you can just about wing it, you, you know, you can wing it. And when things go wrong, you could always, you could always, find your way out by sending a drink or a food or an extra side dish or something and, you know, and just being, you know, charming. So, yeah. you know, that was an awesome first management experience, you know, tough, but really fun. And then I had a, and then I was sort of headhunted, I guess, by a friend of mine who used to work at the square in Mayfair with when Phil Howard still owned it. And, you know, he said, Oh, you know, we're looking to uh, get a new restaurant manager in to sort of, relax the service a little bit it wasn't so much relax the service but they had this very old french fine dining way and they wanted to move towards something more like what danny meyer was doing which was this you know enlightened hospitality so they recruited me and obviously i think i was 20 i don't know 22 23 or something at the time i was still really young i was so excited to be asked to be manager of a two michelin star restaurant i like i jumped on it i really jumped on that opportunity and yeah but yeah, it was, it, it, it did not, it, it, it was definitely not for me. And I think, um, you know, when you're 22 years old and sort of American in your ways and, you know, very cheerleadery, it doesn't quite work when you have 45 year old French waiters who are all male, may I add? <laughs> like, right. so it was, it was like, it, it was a complete flop for me in my, in my career. I, I you know, I, I didn't know how to manage people really at that point I just thought that if you're enthusiastic and kind everybody's going to respond and they don't they don't necessarily do that so you, well uh, that's kind of where the uh, the old saying the exuberance of youth is wasted on the young right I mean the yeah it, it's I, I remember a pretty similar age I thought I could pretty much do anything I wanted yeah and I don't mean that in yeah. a really negative way um you know you, you felt you could kind of take on any challenge yeah. And I suppose you, you you did exactly the same thing. It was like, yeah, wh why would I not give this a go? Because I, yeah, I, I, you know, for sure. They can yeah, see yeah. it in me. So, you know, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and they offered me more money than I, than I was ready for. And, you know, and Phil, he's one of my favorite chefs and he's one of the just nicest people. I, I, I have a huge amount of respect for him, but they had you know, they were very much a product of their time. Um, it was, you know, very, sh a very shouty kitchen, very male, very, right. you know, almost like the army, like you have to beat down on the person below you. And that's just the way it works. And I, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't get my head around it. I, I didn't know how to play that game. And, you know, I think one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't 
you know, I just, I, yeah, I didn't speak up for what I saw there. And I didn't, I just thought that that's just the way it was the old Marco Pierre white way of just really like really being tough on people. And, and, you know, and I, I don't think you get very much out of people treating people that way, but I, you know, I didn't know how to do anything about it at the time. So yeah. I was there for about, I can't remember, six to nine months or so. And, and at that time I got this really cool opportunity. My, my boyfriend at the time decided to move to Australia and his sister and brother-in-law were opening. They had bought this like art gallery in Western Australia, which had a restaurant attached, but they didn't know how to run a restaurant. And they said to him, do you want to come out and run it? He had been running restaurants in London. And, you know, he said, well, you know, you hate your job, clearly. Like, you know, what have you got to lose? You're like, yeah, you know, early 20s. Why don't you come with me to Australia and, and, and run it with me? And I was like, yeah, awesome. Like, let's take over a restaurant. Great idea. So, <laughs> we, you know, we took over this restaurant in, yeah, in the sort of outback of Western Australia. And, you know, I thought, oh, it's going to be a cute little small cafe. There's not really going to be anybody here. It's like Western Australia. But actually, it's right on the it's this really important touristy spot. So we were actually incredibly busy. And when we got there, we realized that there was no chef. So he said, well, you've been to cooking school. You be the chef. And I was sort of like, uh, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> hold on. I've been, I've, you know, I've cooked. Yes, I can cook. I'm a good cook. But like being a chef is a slightly different thing. But, you know, you know, me being the person that I am, I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's, let's jump on that. I'm sure I can figure it out. And and yeah, so we, we, we opened this restaurant from scratch and, you know, it was a small, small place with about 10, 12 of us staff wise. And um, yeah, but we were doing, you know, three, 400 covers a day on busy days. And, and, you know, Western Australia is, you know, you got an average temperature of 36 to 42 on, on a day to day basis. And we had no air conditioning. Like it was, Ugh. it was gross. Yeah, it yeah. was hot. It was really, it was really hot. It was really unpleasant. My, my idea of, Australia of lounging by the beach definitely did not pan out but yeah. <laughs> um but it was great you know it was our first kind of we didn't own it it wasn't you know it wasn't ours but we we really looked after it from scratch and it was you know it was our team and it was our menu and it was our operation and and you know and I yeah and I really I really loved it, it you know as much as it was kind of in the middle of nowhere and not really where I wanted to be it was it was an incredible experience and I I think found my style a little bit in that in that uh, endeavor and I realized what kind of you know person I wanted to be what kind of leader I wanted to be and I you know I, I realized I don't want to be a shouty chef and I don't want to be somebody who beats down on people I, you know I want to take the Danny Meyer way of looking after people and and uh, you know creating a story with what we do and so yeah we were there for I, I say a year and a half maybe two years and then again visa ran out <laughs> visas are a real problem in my career <laughs> and um, and then I moved back to London we moved back to London and then I had this very defining moment in my career. I, we had decided that we were going to open something in London, but we thought we need a year or two to get our minds ready and to, you know, get the money we need for it. And so I started working at Kettner's and Kettner's, I don't know if you've ever been to Kettner's, but it's this sort of five story building in the middle of Soho. And it's the, like the London institution. It was yeah. where Oscar Wilde used to go drink champagne and you know, it's a slightly crazy thing. And it's really interesting because I went for the interview there. I think I had just landed in London and I got a phone call from a recruiter saying, you know, we, we have this position in this place in Kettner's and, you know, would you, would you go for an interview? And I said, sure. I said, I've never heard of Kettner's. I don't know what Kettner's is, but I, I went there and it had been taken over. It was owned by Gondola Group at the time. And um, they, now, it, now it's owned by Soho House, but at the time it was Pizza Express that owned yeah. And the person who had taken over this girl called Amy was just amazing. There was just an energy about her. And she was, 
you know, she was somebody who had no hospitality background, but she had worked in consulting and, and finance and she was incredibly bright and I kind of loved her energy. And, you know, most of my career, I've always worked for the people hiring as opposed to really the brand or the, you know, or, or the restaurant itself. And yeah. yeah, I fell in love with her and her energy. And I thought she's going to teach me lots about, you know, this sort of multifaceted operation. And what I wanted was to get to grips with the business side of restaurants. And, and I thought hey, she's going to, she's going to provide this for me before I can open my own. And so I started working there and Kettner's was, there is no describing the insanity. It was a complete madhouse. I mean, you know, there's stories of Kettner's. People always talk about what's happened in Kettner's over the years. And it's got, I, I am 100% a believer that the building was haunted by the ghosts of the past. Like, for, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was a madhouse. Like, I, I can't, the amount of cr- funny tragic uh, just uh, unbelievable stories and moments that i witnessed in my in my short stint there and i and i made the, my my absolute best of friends like my most important people in my lives are the people that were with me during that period at kentners and you know there's you know there's a brasserie there's a champagne bar there's seven private rooms and then there's all these tunnels under the building that go through all the theaters because back in the day uh, people like men used to drop their wives and kids at the theater and then they would go through the tunnels into Kettner's to drink champagne and general debauchery so it's it's just it's got this incredible history and past and yeah very colorful but definitely you know the best and worst lessons were learned during that time yeah but they generally are though weren't they I mean when the, yeah. if you if it's really full-on all the time and you know you are you sink or swim and when you do swim uh, sink you you know you get the opportunity to to learn something yeah exactly and 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 it was great it was yeah it was it was tough it had a it had a I would say sad ending and in the sense that um you know during our time there um right towards the end there was uh there was a terrible accident that happened on our watch really we were the ones responsible for that building and for the people in it and and a, and a young man got really, really hurt. And um, like, and it was, you know, sort of made front page of newspapers and things. And it was, it was so horrific, this accident. And, you know, it really, you know, taught me in the hard way that you, you know, you have to look at, you know, after people the right way and you have to speak up when you see something that's not right. And we, we just didn't know. I think we, we, you know, in this, in this industry, because people work so hard and, you know, I'm sure you've witnessed it and I've witnessed it when, you know, somebody cuts their finger or they're sick, but they still come to work because they need to pay the bills and they need to be there. And, yeah. you know, and we accept it. We say it's okay. Or, you know, he's fine. And we, you know, and we, we crack on because we're just this really resilient bunch and we just, you know, we don't want to show any weakness and we don't want to show, yeah. Or, or most of the time, yeah, we we're afraid to lose our income in that sense. And, you know, and, and that's, that's what led to a really terrible accident. And that was, you know, that was horrific. Like that was, you know, the, those of us who were there that day, we all had almost like PTSD as a result of it. And, and, you know, and then we all left wow. in one go, basically that entire management team, we, we just left because we were blamed for an accident that was absolutely not our fault. It was just, it was just a tragic accident because the building was falling apart really was the bottom line. And so, yeah, it was really sad, but that, you know, that was a real defining moment for me of, sort of saying you know I'm never gonna sit back and let things you know something like that happen ever again Mm. and then I left Kettner's and that's when I opened my first you know London restaurant and that was Source Battersea and and that was a beautiful little restaurant yeah in 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 Battersea which is where I live it it used to be Ransom's Dock which was 
a restaurant that had been there for 30 years, very much like part of the London food scene. And, you know, Martin Lamb was the man who owned it. And he, yeah, he had it for 30 years. And it was it was very, very tired when we took took it over. But, you know, he really wanted to pass it to somebody who might sort of hopefully instill a legacy into it. And but it was, yeah, very much your small local restaurant, you know, farm to table. You know, I wanted to be I, I, I never had this ambition to be the best restaurant in London. It was never a part of the plan. But I, you know, again, to quote Danny Meyer, I wanted to be everybody's favorite restaurant. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be right. the favorite neighborhood joint that everybody talks about and loves coming to. And, and you know, to some extent, we, we, we achieved that. We, we had a beautiful team. We were mostly full. I mean, it was, it was a, it's the most difficult location. It's completely hidden off the street. You don't see it from the main road. And the main road doesn't have people walking by anyway. So, you know, it became a sort of destination place. Um, we did better always in the summer because we had this beautiful terrace overlooking the river and that, you know, that did well for us. And But, you know, we had a very loyal following of people and, and we loved it. It was incredibly difficult because I was running it with my husband and, and it, you know, it's tough, you know, you know, yeah. trying to, trying to have babies at the same time and trying to make a life and you, yeah, that's a lot. yeah. And you don't really pay yourself an income when you're an owner operator, you, you know, you pay your staff and you, you take, you know, whatever money you can survive all for the both of us. But that's, you know, that's the story of every restaurateur, you know, and, but it was, yeah, love story with this little place, um, you know, lots and lots of hours, lots of, blood sweat and tears and and we had some beautiful reviews that came out we were really lucky like Faye Mashler came like week two that, that we opened and she wrote a really lovely a lovely uh article actually in the evening standard which was really amazing because it did not go well like that day like right. you know it's one of those days where everything goes wrong and you think oh my god I'm gonna have to close down it's so bad but actually she was very gracious and very kind with her words and that actually you know meant that a lot more people came and then Danny Meyer who you know, I, I, I was fortunate to know all these years ago, he came to Source and he spoke about it. And then Will and Daniel came from New York also to eat there. And, you know, we had these wow. amazing people who were so kind and so loyal and they, they came and spoke about it and, you know, supported us. And that was really wonderful. We, you know, we, we did well based on just word of mouth. And that was awesome. Um, yeah. You know, we decided to sell it because, you know, three years later, we, we, uh, we just got an offer that we couldn't refuse. Basically, we knew that there a lot of the offices around us where you know we we relied on their trade to to be successful. They were closing down, and we were really worried. This was pre just pre Brexit, basically pre referendum. Right. Um, I think it was two weeks before the referendum or something. You know, these guys came to us and said, "We really, really want this site, and here's you know a bunch of money for us to take it over." And I just thought, listen, we're never going to get an opportunity like that again. Like we can always open it somewhere else, but this location has been incredibly difficult and, you know, there's only like so much we can do with it. So we sort of, you know, took the money and ran, if you will. And, and that was a, a great decision because it meant that, um, you know, that we could just do other things with that money and, and, and start other things. And, you know, yeah. I, uh, I started to, you know, doing consultancy. I started my sort of, I guess, second company, which was, you know, restaurant consulting and, you know, through word of mouth, lots of people were coming to me and asking for help for opening first time operations or, you know, restaurants that were failing and they needed advice for that. And it was great because it meant flexibility with, you know, young kids and, um, and that worked really well for me. And then, and then I started working at Caravan and I, you know, Caravan is such a great, such a great group. I, Miles, 
who is the you know chef owner operator is is a great friend and he you know they needed a head of people at the time and I remember this funny conversation where I said to him you know, you realize I'm not a head of people right like I'm a, like I'm an operator I, I haven't ever been head of people he's like yeah but you know what we want and you know a, a good head of people is somebody who can instill culture and you know put training plans in and stuff that you've done a hundred times so I think you know I think you'd be great for it you know and um, yeah. Um, and it's really interesting how, you know, that really, really early experience that I had in New York at 11 Madison Park has followed me throughout my entire career. Like that's been the element that people have sought in me. Like they've, they've, they've kind of said, you know, you, that early experience is what we're looking for. So, yeah. which shows that these guys are still the best, you know, 10 years later, you know. And um, I know. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, 11 Madison Park still is in my top five places to visit. Oh, uh, amazing. I haven't visited yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 right up there. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, so I worked there for, um, yeah, for, for 18 months or so. I, f I forget. And and then, yeah. And then uh, this was, it takes me to last year. And last year I stopped that. And, you know, it's been you know, frankly, it's been a super, super difficult, like six months. I think, you know, you sort of, you know, when, when you and I spoke about the podcast, you said, we'll, we'll speak about things like challenges you've overcome and such. And, you know, funnily enough, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm right in the middle of overcoming my biggest challenge, yeah. you know, in life. And, you know, I, I got, I, I went to Columbia business school the, the you know, some of the money from selling the restaurant sort of helped fund, you know, studies at, at Columbia. And I always wanted to do something, you know, I don't have time to do a two year MBA, but I always wanted to do some sort of leadership course in Columbia is the best. And I went out there in October last year and that was absolutely amazing. But on the back of that, I, I got separated from my husband, which was, you know, incredibly difficult with two young kids. And then yeah. I started a new job, which was a total catastrophe. It was, I totally took it on a whim. I thought this was going to be, you know, a, a big pivotal moment in my career. And, and, you know, it happens sometimes you take a job and it's totally wrong. And it was completely not what was advertised on, on paper, let's say. And, and the, you know, the person who owned the business was just not, you know, not a good person, definitely not the culture I wanted to be associated with. And so, yeah, it was just a, like completely tumultuous six months and then COVID hit and yeah. then, and then my grandmother passed away because she got the virus, and she oh, was. Oh my word! I know, and she was in a nursing home, and none of us could be there, and it was just like it was just it was one of those things where you know bad things keep happening, and you think surely this has to stop at some point. Yeah, and yeah, well, and they it, usually say they happen in threes, right? But well, that sounds like four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Probably sounds like four, but you know what? I think yeah, and it was tough. It was it's been a really really difficult sort of you know six six to nine months, but. As Will Gadara from, from 11 Madison Park says, it's his favorite saying, he says, you know, Elsa, adversity is a terrible thing to waste. And oh, I, like that. I think that is, uh, yeah, a little bit my mantra in life. Yeah, you, you have to, he always says it, he always reminds me and I, and I do call him for, for advice when I feel like I, I don't know where to look or what to do. And, and yeah, and I guess that's how, you know, that's what has led me, you know, all the way here and all the way to hospital box. This adversity of this moment I needed to focus on something that was positive. I thought, you know what, I can't, if I can't fix everything around me, at least I can channel it, you know, channel it into something that's good. And hopefully bringing a smile to people's face is what makes me smile. So it brings me a lot of joy and, and it gives me a purpose. And I think, you know, without purpose, you just, you just don't get anywhere. So it's, that's what yeah. gives me purpose at the moment. And that's what, who knows what it's going to lead to? Who knows what, you know, what the next six months hold? I just hope there's no second peak is my main yeah. thing. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody really wants to think about that right now, do they? It's just, it's like after everything that everyone's been through, it's like, okay, let's just, can we all just crack on now? Yeah. But, you know, you have to, you've got to temper it with a bit of realism. It may or may not happen, who knows? But I think you're right. I, I'd take my hat off to you because to kind of go through all of that and still come up with something really, really positive, I just think is it's just brilliant i i can't even imagine what you've been through over the last um few months with all of these things yeah. and, to, and to still yeah. pull something like this out the out the hat i mean that's that's great oh. <laughs> thanks i think as I, you know as i say i think i'm 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 constantly inspired by the people that i work with i think yeah hospitality folk we are it's an industry that very sadly is plagued with a, a lot of mental health issues I think it's you know something yeah. to do with the fact that you're surrounded by late nights and you know alcohol drugs sometimes and people tend to work in hospitality sometimes as a stepping stone to doing something else it's not really what they want to be doing and but you know we yeah we're a tough bunch you know we're a tough bunch like I've been constantly inspired by the people around me um and so I feel like no matter what's going on I don't really have cause for complaint. Like, the, yes, I started a hospital box and that's a great thing, but I'm also incredibly, I'm incredibly lucky. Like I have my health. I, I, I have a nice house. I have the space to do the boxes. So, you yeah. know, I, I can't really sit back and complain about it because I think, you know, a lot of people around me have it a hell of a lot worse. And, you know, and definitely that has come to light with hospital box. So, you know, some of the deliveries I've done, you know, I've showed up at people's houses and I can tell you when they open the door that they are not in a good place. They are not in a yeah. good way. And the struggle is infinitely more difficult for them than it is for me. So I think, you know, it's a good dose of reality for me when I'm feeling a little bit sorry for myself. Go do some hospital box deliveries. It's amazing how you'll feel after the end of like a full day of deliveries. You'll be like, wow, actually, I don't. Yeah, there's no no reason for me to be complaining. Yeah, it's like watching a, an episode of EastEnders, I guess. You always <laughs> end up feeling a bit better in the end because you think your life's not that bad. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, that's obviously fiction, but no, I I um I think it, it's a really humbling experience to, and also I, I suppose it, it does keep you honest that there are, if you do have your health and you do have you know a house and a roof over your head and you're not sort of immediately concerned about paying your bills, then you know you're already in a much better place than than I would imagine quite a lot of people through this. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. No, for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, I think the one thing that comes out from your your story, probably more than many that I've um, I've spoken to, is that you're clearly a very versatile individual. Um, <laughs> you're, yeah. You've you've worked in multiple countries in very different jobs: front of house, back of house, brand, people, and culture. Uh-huh. Uh, and of course, you founded your own businesses as well. So you're clearly a kind of get up and go type person rather than just wait for something to happen to you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Which yeah. to my dread detriment sometimes because I tend to jump, you know, both feet into a project sometimes without really thinking, you know, is this actually a good move for me or not? I just, I, yeah, enthusiasm gets the better of me. But I, I hope that, you know, as as time goes by, I'm learning to, to pause a little bit more to think about actually is this a good move for me is this the right person I should trust I I always believe that people are good which they not always are unfortunately I have learned that the hard way so um yeah. you know I'm learning over time to you know to reflect a little bit more hopefully and be a little bit wiser in my in my career choices 
Yeah. Do you know what the weird thing about that is? Is that I'm going the other way. I've also I've I've probably been guilty of being an overthinker. Oh right. For the a, a large part of my life, I have a lot a lot of ideas, but I keep. I think historically, I've always just waited for the the right set of circumstances to explore the ideas. Yeah. But of course, that that never happens. So now, and the podcast is a prime example of that. Actually, it was somebody said to me, "Just get launched. Worry about perfection later." Yeah, um, for sure. And I kind I kind of like that. You know, perfection's impossible anyway. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, but you can work towards it um, for sure. Yeah. Flipping back to to hospital box. Mm-hmm. So how do people find you what what's um what's the best way for them to do that well so we having it not be really like a full business yet and it's not quite a full charity yet you know we're still trying to figure out how to properly register it because it's still in its first few weeks um we we have an instagram page which is obviously just hospo box it's easy there's only one um and um you know you get online and you uh, you order a box, you basically just message us and say, I want a box. We, you know, we don't have a website yet or anything. We might, we might get to that, but we're, we're not there yet. And you just say, I want a box. And then um, currently we ask for donations as opposed to buying a box because, um, you know, we're not fully registered. So you just, you, there's a link there that tells you how to pay. And, you know, but what we really want to say to people is that you don't necessarily have to give if you can it's great obviously we do need donations in order to give away more boxes but you can yeah you can either buy a box for yourself or you can just say you know what i need a box like you know i could really use a box i'm having a you know pretty terrible couple of months and i could really use the box um and then we'll send you a box like we we're not asking questions we're not asking you to justify anything there's no questions asked like the whole point is you know if you want a box just tell us we'll send you a box or if you know people in the industry um who want a box and let us know and also we say you know we're not we're not going to check if the person's in the industry or not if somebody you know needs food and needs a smile on their face we'll send it to them we're not nobody's checking if they're in hospitality you know we started it to help predominantly people in our field because that's that's what we wanted to do but you know if you call me and say you know my local you know plumber is having a crappy time of course we're going to send them a box like it's you know the idea is to is to spread joy it's not to it's not to check who's you know who's receiving it so yeah the more people nominate the better you know um and um yeah and 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 hopefully you love it and you either order more or it's a great gift to make for somebody like you can just buy one and send it to someone if that if that if you think that they will benefit from it um it's a mystery box each week and you get enough to feed yeah as you said at least two people and at least two cocktails. So hopefully it's a nice restaurant meal that you get to cook in your kitchen and hopefully you get to learn a few skills along the way. Yeah, I, I definitely. And um, I, I massively appreciate you sending me that, that box. It was a really great insight into to what you're what you're doing. And I think I'll just come back to that one point about the, the quality of the, the produce is amazing. The, the recipes are really, really cool. There are definitely probably things that you're not just going to knock up on a, a regular Friday night uh, in your own kitchen, unless you're maybe a chef or something like that. But, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, geographically, where can you, where are you covering? Yeah, currently we're just doing within the M25 um, until we figure out uh, potentially a better way of doing delivery. Right now it's just people picking up the boxes, 
and dropping them off. So we, we try to stick within the M25. You know, sometimes we've had, we've made a few exceptions where somebody said, listen, this person really, really needs a box and they're just, they're just outside of that coverage. You know, we'll, we'll do our best to try and deliver it. We might do it on a different day if we can't fit it in that day. But um, currently we try to stick to, you know, London restaurant focused, you know what I mean? London hospitality people focused for now, but who knows, who knows if it grows, you know, we might be shipping all over the UK. Who knows? Well, I'll, I'll have to. I have to figure that one out, but obviously with fresh produce, I'm still trying to figure out how to get things from A to B safely and and uh, yeah. you know fresh. Yeah, I know absolutely. Well, it's, it's no mean feat. Yeah, um, for, <laughs> for sure, especially to maintain the quality. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. We we really have a 24 hour turnover from the moment the ingredients get dropped off to the moment they need to be in somebody's house. Is we we basically give ourselves a 24 hour cutoff. So we're we're yeah, it has to be. Yeah, because if you're not getting fresh ingredients, what's the point, right? So we, yeah. try to, we try to get it to people ASAP, which is, yeah, definitely been some uh, teething issues, but we're, we're getting there. It's, we, we have but a smooth operation going now. <laughs> that's, um, that's any business idea, isn't it, really, at the beginning? Yeah. When, if, if you just explore the idea, you're, you're going to run into teething issues, but that's how you get to the other side of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's let them happen and, and figure out a way. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, well, um, it's been really, really great to chat. I, I really appreciate you spending some time with us and explaining us a, a little bit more about your your story and and also the uh, hospital box. I think at hospital box, hospital <laughs> box. I'd really uh, encourage an, anyone and everyone to get behind it. I think it's just a really wonderful idea. Uh, and as I said at the beginning, I think it's just a great story for our time. Uh, you know, I, I think you you made the quote about um adversity from from one of your early mentors yeah um i i posted a, a quote on a very similar concept just a couple of weeks ago which was that every success story has a chapter on adversity yeah um i think we can all learn out of adversity but you know i i think equally my message is don't worry if you're currently not you know, just get... exactly a hundred percent. Yeah, I would, I would very much agree with that. Like you're doing, like everybody. Yeah, same. I would say you're doing okay, and that's exactly the message that we even put in the hospital box. We're like, you're doing great. Like you're doing great. It doesn't mean you have to create a charity or you have to do some sort of big grand gesture. You don't need to. Just like get up in the morning and you know yeah. do the best that you can because we're all facing our our pro. You know. We, we each have our problems like that was my way of dealing with it and that's just the kind of person I am I'm like I have to do something in order to feel better I you know because I if I you know it means I'm not actually dealing with my problems <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to find a solution for everyone I'm like, I am just going to ignore that for now and just help somebody else out for a change um but yeah a hundred percent I think people need to yeah they're doing great it's been so hard on everybody and I think it's really okay to feel a bit down and feel a bit depressed about the situation but at least now it's getting a little bit better the sun is shining restaurants are reopening so it's a good yeah yeah, i'm hoping it's positive news for the next yeah for the next at least six months i'm really hoping there's no more peak it's just the main thing if we can keep it under control then hopefully it'll be good yeah absolutely great stuff well look thank you very much for for joining us today it's been a real pleasure to chat and i really really appreciate you being so open as well and wish you all the very best with uh, with your endeavors thank you so much it was it was uh, great fun thanks for having me no problem at all speak to you soon <laughs> bye 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 and there we have it a big thank you to elsa for having a chat with us and for founding the incredible hospital box through this tough period just amazing 
Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star written review. It really does make a massive difference. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.